Welcome to Cultural Connections Lab. I'm your host, Dr. Kelly Forbes. We are here to talk with educational professionals around the world to impact and influence the education system as we focus on cultural connections and the education of multilingual, diverse students. We're excited to have you join us today, and we sincerely hope that you enjoy the show. Are you ready to take your school district to new heights? Introducing Educators, the leading software as a service platform for Title III and multilingual support in education. At EduSkills, we understand the importance of equitable education and empowering multilingual learners to thrive in today's classrooms. Our cutting edge technology provides school districts across the nation with the tools they need to enhance language acquisition, foster inclusivity, and improve academic outcomes. With seamless implementation and comprehensive support, EduSkills ensures a smooth transition for your district, empowering educators to provide targeted instruction and personalized support. So why wait? Unlock the potential of your school district today with EduSkills. Visit our website at eduskillsllc.com or call us now at 405-879-9898 to schedule a demo. EduSkills transforming education one student at a time. Welcome to another podcast episode of Cultural Connections Lab with myself, your host, Dr. Kelly Forbes. I am so excited to be with a dear friend um, of mine today. I met her back in August at a conference, and I am just so thrilled to get to know her more. My friend, Dr. Heidi Faust. So Dr. Heidi Faust serves as the Grants, Projects, and Partnerships Officer at TESOL International Association, where she supports English language teaching capacity, building programs internationally, most recently with secondary teachers and government mentors in India and Uzbekistan on programs in collaboration with U.S. embassies, ministries of education, and non-governmental organizations. Prior to this, Heidi has had several roles at TESOL, including Director of Professional Learning and Research. As a former member of the association, Heidi was active in the association leadership by chairing both the intercultural communication interest section and the socially or social responsibility interest section. And she was a founding member of the TESOL Diversity Collaborative Professional Learning Network. Heidi brings over 25 years of experience in education and teacher development from service in K-12 U.S. public schools to higher education and in international teacher development. She has served as a teacher, teacher educator, researcher, consultant, and author. She earned her PhD just recently, congratulations, in language, literacy, and culture at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County, and an MED from uh, TESOL, an MED in TESOL, rather, from the University of Turabo, or Turabo, Puerto Rico, and a BS in special education from Kutztown University of Pennsylvania. I had to make sure to do that Turabo if it's going to be Puerto Rico. <laughs> um, prior to her role at TESOL, Heidi served as the director of TESOL professional training programs at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County, where she facilitated professional learning opportunities for English language teachers in over 100 countries in partnership with the U.S. Department of State, regional English offices, and U.S. embassies abroad. 
She was the lead investigator on several grant-funded projects, including an ELT capacity building grant sponsored by the U.S. Embassy Santo Domingo and an American English e-teacher scholarship, which is now open. Course development grant funded by the U.S. Department of State, administered by FHI 360 to develop the TESOL methodology course at UMBC. Heidi is an English language specialist for the U.S. Department of State and has facilitated projects in Hungary where she directed the 2012 Teaching Tolerance through English Camp and in Turkmenistan. Is that correct? Thank you for helping me where she conducted programs on teaching English to teens and to prepare English-speaking volunteers for the Asian Indoor Martial Arts Games in 2016. She has also been a Fulbright Hayes Seminar Abroad Scholar in South Africa and a Japan Fulbright Memorial Fund Scholar. Heidi served as an ESL Technical Assistance Facilitator on behalf of the Pennsylvania Department of Education and has taught English learners from primary to adult in K-12 public schools, and she has served as a teacher educator in graduate TESOL programs at several universities, including Lehigh University, Wilkes University, and UMBC. Heidi is passionate about equity and social justice in education and the importance of intercultural awareness and communication and collaboration, and she has authored book chapters and articles and taught courses related to these topics in a variety of settings. Her areas of specialty include inclusive practices in online and in-person settings, ELT methodology, and the contextualization of research and practice in teaching and learning. Damas y caballeros, mis amigos, a todos, to everyone. Welcome, Dr. Heidi Faust, my friend. Thank you so much for being here today, truly. Thank you, Dr. Kelly Forbes. <laughs> and thank I'm you so for helping happy. my pronunciation, too. <laughs> I needed to get some of those. That's very, very important. So thank you. And I'm happy you're that so you're welcome. here, too, truly. It's great to connect, as always. I feel like we we just connected immediately. And sometimes in this field, it's just sometimes you meet people and immediately there's a connection, no matter where in the world you are. So it's just wonderful to be here to talk with you today well i mean honestly for me um it, it's just crazy to get to be um here with you to share the space and it's true back whenever we met and you know for the list of our listeners um we were at a back to school edge skills conference um and heidi was able to present to some educators in the oklahoma area specifically and immediately, I just knew that we were kindred spirits, and I'm just thankful not to have another awesome professional in my life um, from whom I can learn, truly. But at the same time, though, just another uh, friend. And so I just, I'm just truly um, enamored by you. I just think so highly of you. And so to get to have you as a guest um, with me, I feel really honored. So thank you. Thank you so much. And likewise, I, I, I agree that the connection is great. And to be... <laughs> And that's one of the best things about this field, I think, is the compassionate, caring, and amazing educators that we get to work with every day. And so I'm glad. Exactly, exactly. Well, so I'm excited to just like dive in and to talk about my passion, which I think anyone that knows me or listens to this podcast knows I'm so passionate about culture and the role Mm -hmm. that it plays in all of our lives, and especially in the field of education, pre-K, beyond uh, the 12th grade, you know, um, and just how it even impacts what we do in our daily lives, whether uh, you work, and I'll do a little shout out to my mama because I know you're going to listen. Um, no matter if you are listening to this and you don't work in the field of education, or especially if you are in the field of education, culture is this glue that really brings us together and really um, helps us understand more of who we are in our own journey and something really worth celebrating and learning more about overall. So 
after having just gone through your incredible bio and having learned more about you by just reading that amazing bio, um, just share about your experiences and culture and how all of that connected and where it got you mm-hmm. to where you are today. Yeah. Wow. There's, that's a lot, there's a lot to say about that. I think, (laughs) (laughs) I think culture really matters and it's so important that we understand it. And I think it's hard to understand. We get a lot of messages like celebrate diversity and, and, you know, be culturally responsive, but what does that really mean? Mm -hmm. And I think for a long time, I was an educator who believed in that with all my heart and I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know how to do it because I wasn't exposed yeah. to other cultures in a meaningful way. You know, I would you get messages from the media or you, you know, can dress up like something or, you know, like <laughs> yeah. celebrate Taco Tuesday. Like that's not being culturally responsive, mm. right? And, no. and we get these messages that it, it is. <laughs> and I think for me, you know, really crossing borders, leaving home, leaving the places where I was comfortable and going to different spaces and really coming as a learner Mm -hmm. um, and really being reflective on, you know, people are saying this, but it isn't meaning the same thing I'm thinking it's meaning. Yeah. And so just learning to tune in to kind of begin to see things with a different set of eyes, values are different, communication styles are different, all of those things below the iceberg they teach you about in cultural communication classes. Yes. They're really there and they really are, you know, they're the key to understanding culture, I think, is going below what we can see um, much more to the communication styles, the values, the meaning and the way that people interact socially across hierarchy and context. Mm -hmm. Um, I can give you an example. Yeah, please. So when I was in Turkmenistan, I was, um, which was amazing because, you know, often people don't get an opportunity to go to a place like Turkmenistan. No, and I'm jealous. Um, I'll, wait, wait, let's, let's go back. <laughs> come with me next time. <laughs> I want to go. <laughs> you know, the culture there is is in many ways indirect. And there is, in some cases, a need or a desire to save face. Mm-hmm. And not just in Turkmenistan, but in many, many cultures, like saving face is important. And so... Um, in places where the culture is is indirect in their communication style, yes and no don't always mean yes and no, mm-hmm. which, you know, textbooks uh. tell us that. And and I know that. I teach those courses, but I didn't really understand even what it meant until I experienced it. And so I'm in a hotel. I'm teaching an online course. I need an internet password. You know, simple thing. I go to the desk and they, they tell me I need a little slip you know, with the code. So I go to the hotel desk and I ask for the slip and, oh, you know, come tomorrow. We don't have any more today. Okay, fine. So I come tomorrow and, you know, oh, they're not here yet. Oh, the next day, you know, and I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I'm trying to get on the internet. And I'm stressing out because I've got students I'm teaching. I'm supposed to be online helping them. And I find out later they don't have internet at that hotel. So this, uh, like in a U.S. context, <laughs> they would just be like, no, go to Starbucks right, or go or down something. the street uh-huh. or, you know, you, you can't get internet here. Or use your hotspot or right, figure it out something. Right. But, but it was this like, oh, you know, come tomorrow. Come tomorrow means no, you know, and, it, and I didn't read that at all. And I was asking and asking and no <laughs> one would tell me no. And the same thing in at the university, you wanted to use a computer lab. Oh, yeah, we have a computer lab. You can use it. You can use it. Can we? OK, can we use it tomorrow? Oh, try the next day. You know, mm-hmm. can we use it tomorrow? Yes, you can use it tomorrow. So I come, I'm ready to use the computer lab. 
And tomorrow comes and, oh, the computer lab's not available. And I later found Hmm. out that it was because they had 16 seats and we had 30 teachers. Oh, wow. Where I would have just said, oh, let's double up. You know, because I come from this place where we have a high tolerance for ambiguity. We're just flexible. We make changes all the time. In other spaces, that's not the way that people communicate or interact. So I was kind of bumping up against my perception of what those communications meant. Was that like a respectful thing that they didn't want to, they didn't want to, like, they wouldn't tell you no? I think, yeah. Or, yeah? Yeah, respectful and okay. then they don't want to say no to you because you're a guest. Mm-hmm. But also, you know, I think there is maybe an element of maintaining their own status yeah. to say, oh, we have a computer lab, you know? Um, that, mm-hmm. that maybe it would be embarrassing to yeah. say, no, we don't, we can't accommodate you right now. And so, and I, of course, I'm just making assumptions about what I think was happening. But right. in those cases, like I came in with my set of understandings, but I really needed to read the situation from a whole other set of rules. Mm-hmm. And that's intercultural communication. It's not like, let's put on our sombrero today. And, right. You know, like say some words in <laughs> Spanish. <laughs> like, it's really like, you're saying this and I'm hearing this. And is it the same? Right. No, that's so important. Yeah. Um, so whenever you're talking about like, so I'll be, I love that you said, first of all, like you wouldn't have known, like we learn about these things and we can talk about this until we're blue in the face. Right. But it's not until you go through the experience, do you start to understand the things that we read about and we learn? And so I think that experience part is really, really important. And then the other part of that, that you were talking about is that, um, trying to, you were coming at it with your context, right? Absolutely. And so you were therefore in your head and not language based on this, but you're translating like these experiences that you're having. That is an important takeaway, I think, for anyone to listen to, because if I'm being completely vulnerable, whenever I was younger, and I think all of us can probably like if we really stop to reflect for a minute, which I think is a really important process for us to do as we try to understand our own culturally proficient journeys and have our own cultural awareness, is that whenever we're younger, though, like you grow, you grew up hearing about Taco Tuesday, mm-hmm. you grew up dressing up as something, you grew up saying things that are culturally destructive, like the low man on the totem pole. Mm-hmm. And you don't, but, but that's not necessarily the intent, but it takes, it takes a very intentional understanding time patience and reflection to start to acknowledge what those are beyond things that we actually read in our textbooks but how are like what do we say in the teacher lounge what do we say in our office behind closed doors do we continue that verbiage and i was just recently somewhere where comments were made that i knew that the intent wasn't that and they didn't understand that what they were saying was being destructive at that moment and and so sometimes i even suffer in trying to figure out, like, how do I have this conversation whenever I know we're only talking for about 60 seconds or less, but you said it, but I really want to say something so quickly. And so have you had any experiences whenever you were traveling, but then coming back where you would find yourself and like thinking, wow, I used to think this because I grew up that way. Now I've learned so much. So I'm a more mature and more knowledgeable person in this, even though I'm still on my journey to become culturally proficient. But now when I come back from different places, these experiences really are um, alive for me through the lens of the other people that I'm around that sometimes don't know what I know or have had those experiences or exposures. 
Absolutely. All the time. Does that makes sense. All the time. <laughs> and, and, and not just when I'm abroad, even in my own home, in my own community, there's diversity all around us. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like whenever we yeah. come back, like we leave and we come back yeah. sometimes. And then you notice like, you notice things that other, you're like, I, I was doing that before. Uh-huh. And, and you're like, wow. I mean, it's just, yeah. it's awesome to learn, but it's also a very humbling experience whenever it's you're like open to that reflection. Being an onion that just keeps getting peeled. Mm-hmm. You know, so many layers like race and, and critical consciousness and culture and the language that we speak and the way we speak and where those words came from. There's a lot of words we use in everyday English that are really, if you think about mm-hmm. them, where they came from, they're offensive yes. to to different groups of people. And if you, especially if you're a member of a community that's empowered and you're using those words with people who are marginalized. Like the magnification of that impact of mm-hmm. that is, is really something to to consider. And you know, it it's hard because sometimes it's invisible. And I think for me, what has made these things visible is having relationships, real relationships, with people across different communities and listening and asking questions. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's so many things that I've assumed in my life that I, I'm sure there's many more. I'm still assuming <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> there's, there's always, they're always I'm there. Learning every they're day. always there. And so, you know, having those real relationships has, has kind of changed my perspective in a lot of about the, not just the way I speak, the way I think, the way I interpret things around me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we want. We want to be conscious we want to be aware and we need to be reflective in order to do that. And we need to have real relationships. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things we learn about, and I, I teach this and sometimes in the courses when I teach intercultural communication, is this idea of third space, right? So the idea of like, this is my cultural perspective. This is how things work. I'm working with immigrants coming into U.S. schools. They're coming with a different sense of the rules and the values and the way we interact. And somewhere in this middle, we have to find a space where, you know, we understand each other and we can do what works for both. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's an important thing to constantly be, constantly be reflecting. Um, it was very interesting to me working with parents. When I, when I first started working in English language teaching, because I was a special education teacher and I got my master's in TESOL right around the time No Child Left Behind was passed. Hmm. And suddenly I was running, you know, programs for the county. And I was still learning so much. I, ta- I was teaching English and I was also coordinating programs for the county. And I didn't know what I didn't know. Yeah. And, you know, we had this Title III money and we were told to do stuff for parents, parent engagement, right? <laughs> so we were inviting parents. And I was like, oh, I know these things. We're, you know, supposed to eliminate barriers. So let's provide childcare. Let's provide some, like, lunch or food if they're working long hours. <laughs> Like, let's provide transportation. Like, we're going to cover all the bases. And then we'll have this great class on, like, how to be a good parent to kids in K-12 schools and, you know, how to integrate your students into the school. And we'll teach the parents, like, so the students can engage, right? Because our goal was engagement. Mm -hmm. And no one came. Right. And my question was, like, why is no one coming? We're doing everything (laughs) We're supposed to do, except we weren't offering anything those parents were interested in, right? (laughs) Because they didn't need us to teach them how to be good parents to their kids. They were already great parents. (laughs) They were already great parents and they wanted some different things for their kids. 
and they wanted to see their kids shine. They wanted, you know, they wanted to to see what their kids were learning. And and it and our our perspective was so deficit. Mm-hmm. It was like we need to help these parents, you know, integrate. And the reality was like parents were already integrated. They were going to churches, they were going to the community centers, they were, you know, they just weren't coming to us because we weren't offering what they wanted. And so we had to have a conversation like, what would you like? Mm-hmm. And oh, I remember yeah. this was such a pivotal moment for me because I was working with a teacher from one of the schools who was also a parent. And she said, parents will come to see their kids shine. And so we kind of flipped the script completely on our work. And we ended up doing this young authors event where all of the kids wrote a book. And it could be, you know, five pages, one word per page or something. Like everybody could do it, yeah. but they everyone could write a book. Um, and the teachers were helping students. Some did class books. Some kids did bilingual books with their parent. Some did books on recipes from their home. Um, it was the idea was to kind of share your culture, but we didn't want to dictate like what that is. Yeah. You tell us what you want to share. And there were so many beautiful things that came out of that, but we had over 400 families come and kids showed up in suits and ties. Big difference. Parents huh? rented cars. <laughs> they were calling us like, we missed the bus, but we're renting a car. We're going to be there. And grandma's coming. And so are our cousins. And like, <laughs> like it was night and day. And I was so happy that somebody had told me, like, this isn't meaningful. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because sometimes people don't trust you enough. To tell you when you're messing up, mm-hmm. but we were we you know we were kind of messing up because we the, we're focusing on what we thought people needed because we had these perspectives that were deficit you know, and so I I can admit that and I think there's a lot of teachers in that same situation and it's a growing experience to be able to flip that switch and and focus on an asset based opportunity and to realize like what the great resources are that kids and parents are so for me and that was early on in my career thankfully that somebody was just like decades (laughs) (laughs) you know wake up girl (laughs) this is you know this is not the right way to approach these and i think that critical perspective is so important Mm -hmm. because we do grow up in a space with deficit all the time you know and i think Having relationships and listening and asking the questions can help us. There's so much to unpack with that. And I'm really like, thank you for being vulnerable because I feel like we can't, if I'm not vulnerable, (laughs) I can't, I can't grow and I can't help. I can't help myself to help anyone else or anything. So thank you for that. But it's true though. Like oftentimes we, we like find ourselves, I think doing stuff because we have like, there's a requirement to do it. So we're Mm going to do it to you. Yeah. As opposed to being like, I'm thankful for this requirement because it allows me the opportunity to do it with mm-hmm. people and yeah. to hear and to learn because the best thing I can do is listen. But you brought up a really good point that I I think this is what's missing a whole lot. And geographically within the United States, I think there is this space for this, but I think overall and specifically in, in, um, in where I live in Oklahoma, there's not a whole lot for this, but my point is, if you go to Spain, for example, there's going to be a huge plaza. I mean, huge. And everyone goes to this, like, third space. So we have, like, those three spaces. Like, we have our home, we have our work, 
But then here, like, we'll go to, like, the restaurant, and then we'll come back. Or we'll go to the show, and then we'll come back. But whenever you have that third space, like that big plaza where, like, all the kids come to play and the parents mm-hmm. can sit at the table outside, even though if they're not eating at the restaurant, because we can sit and talk and chat. And then I can see people over there walking their dogs and there's all these different cultures around us where the kids are interacting and playing with each other. The adults are talking to each other from different backgrounds, different languages, different cultures, where I'm so used to, you have to find the event to go to, to participate in that cultural event or to be exposed to it or to go mm-hmm. to that part because you can't find a place where everyone is together. And so in other countries, I've experienced that third space, that exposure really helps because that's what you're growing up with as opposed to a place where you just basically are mostly at work or at home. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's silos and Mm, there is segregation where, Mm. you know, we're segregated Mm -hmm. and you have to get out of that. You have to, but it's, it's a conundrum because it's, it's not necessarily natural the way that our spaces are constructed. And so you can't just walk into somebody's community and be like, here I am, like, let's be friends. (laughs) I mean, you can, but I think you you need to do so in a very respectful way. Mm -hmm. And we need to look for these opportunities where we are on an equal playing field and we do have time to get to know each other. And, And so I think like even just asking parents to come in for, for like conferences or something, it's on our space. Mm-hmm. And so there, I feel like there needs to be a little bit of us coming out to them. Say, you know, hi, we're well, here. Tell us more about you. And a hundred percent, a hundred percent, because like a hundred percent of your students that are going to that school probably live in that district, mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah. not a hundred percent of the educators that are in there live in that community. Yeah, right. They don't live in that district. Yeah. And so if we're not in the communities, if we're not all of us like working together and being exposed, and again all of us in that equal playing field, like you said, which is a really important point to highlight, then I'm just becoming more of part of the problem as opposed to part of a solution right. where that solution being like, you know, like we all are learning from each other and we can be better because of our diversity and we mm-hmm. can expand our minds. And I know that from my experiences, just through traveling alone to different countries and learning about different cultures has truly enriched my life so much. I mean, I'm nothing perfect at all. I'm not saying that, but man, those experiences change your life. Whenever you go to Cairo, Egypt, to Spain, (laughs) to Central America, to Bangkok, Thailand, those are very distinct different cultures. Sure. And it's good. You got to get out of of your comfort zone. Yeah, it's fun. You have to experience other ways of being. And I think when you do, it's very hard to teach you know, how to be culturally responsive if you haven't really experienced other cultures. Not that you need to travel. I mm-hmm. mean, you can listen to music. You can read books by other authors that are, you know, that are from other cultures as well. You can, but you need exposure to those perspectives, um, not just the exposure that is given to you in your cultural environment, right? Because that's always slanted with, with some, you know, perspective. And so... Y- you have to meet people on their terms and their space and, and listen from that space, I think. For me, it was interesting also talking to parents about why they do or don't come to school, right? And I, talk, I think communities that do this well, it's very fluid between school and community, right? It's all, it's all kind of encompassing. But I've had parents say to me, you know, I don't come to school because in my culture, 
you only go to school if your kid's bad. Mm-hmm. Right. And I don't want other people to see me there because they're going to think my kid's bad, but I'll send some money to make cupcakes or, you know, like I'll help you with the school trip. Or yes. I'll be engaged, but I'm not coming. Right. That was fascinating for me. Or to hear from another person's perspective that, you know, you have my kids all day long after school. I'm not doing your stuff, teacher. I'm going to take my kids to church. I'm going to go do fun stuff with my kids. Like, don't tell me I need to go over homework. That was very interesting for me to hear mm-hmm. from a parent because we just assumed, you know, oh, we're going to tell parents X, Y, Z needs to happen now. It's an extension of school. And that pushback was like, hey, you know, you already have your time. Like, mm-hmm. Give me my time with my kid. We have other things that we value. And then the third perspective that I heard, these were from teachers in Puerto Rico. And I've, I've been to some classrooms in Puerto Rico where, you know, parents kind of came and went. They helped the kids. There weren't walls, like, like clear doors. Like kids could come out into the garden. The weather is nice. There's no substitute teachers at the school, right? Like things were a little less maybe rigid in that way. But also when they talked about coming to U.S. schools, they had to come to a locked door to be let in, given an ID, escorted in the hallway. Through a metal detector. Yeah. And they just said, you know, it feels like jail. It feels mm-hmm. like you don't want us there. <laughs> And that for me was also eye-opening because they're coming from a space where parents kind of walk in and it's understood that they're the parent and they should be there. Mm -hmm. So all of those things, without that perspective, I wouldn't have understood, you know, why parents aren't, why they aren't coming, right? And then we hear teachers say things like, well, the parents don't come. Right. Well, ask why. <laughs> exactly. You know, Just listen. Because there's cultural assumptions that go with that statement that are really loaded. Mm-hmm. And the reality is often really different than what people think. Right. So I think that was really interesting for me to, to have those conversations and really get to know parents um, from a more equitable exchange mm-hmm. than, hi, we're the school, we're going to tell you some yeah. stuff. Right? I, really, I appreciate like those specific examples though, because it helps like put a name to it to try to understand like, because I, in my heart of hearts, I believe that the, like the majority, there's always going to be exceptions, but the majority of people, I don't think necessarily assume something negative, but you don't recognize that you are being negative or you are being destructive in the same way I was when I first started teaching, not even knowing it. I would say like, you know, no English, I'm going to help you. Or no Spanish or no whatever because I'm going to help you learn English. or Because I'm, yeah, I'm brand new. I, I just know that I've been told to do this. And so I'm just trying to do it. I want it to, I want to do really good at it. But then I was like, oh, my God. You know, but the more exposed I become, the more you learn. You start to realize, right, right. Like, it totally is an asset. And so I just yeah. appreciate from 2000 forever ago until now, just like all I've been able to learn. And, again, those like very specific examples help. And I remember whenever I was working with some uh, some students, you said about parents, like, I don't need to help my kid with the homework. I was thinking immediately whenever there were um, families, whether they be um, uh, in, in, in Thailand, for example, and other Asian countries that were represented in my classroom where I taught, um, and even working with some college students, um, university students, the idea is that, well, you're the teacher, you're so highly respected, you're so highly valued, you're the expert in this, who am I? Mm-hmm. to do your job and be that educator that's you and it's and so here 
there's a it's a very different <laughs> in between the the um, whole other the, side. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a whole different side to that where teachers are just like given the utmost respect. Um, where they you know there's a, a ceremony where they where the students wash your feet, for example, in Bangkok, or wash your hands, or you know to say thank you so much for taking the time and and giving me this knowledge and versus other situations <laughs> that sometimes I think we can just turn on the TV and yeah. see that happen here. But wow, right? I yeah. mean, it, it, it's, it, it, it's mind blowing. It's really shocking to international students when they come. Oh, man. I think, but it was also really <laughs> shocking for, for me and for my colleagues too, going to other spaces where there is that understanding of the teacher and, and trying to, kind of understand the role of student-centered learning and the teacher as a guide and a facilitator and giving a little bit more of that autonomy over to the student, but then also wanting to be respectful of a culture and the hierarchies that are in place there. Mm-hmm. And also seeing, you know, if you go so far in the direction of student-centered that, you know, at some point then the teacher loses that their ability to guide and direct because they're, you know, being told by parents and the community. And and so there's kind of like this spectrum that is like very extreme on either side. And so it's very interesting to reflect on that. But then also to be culturally respectful when you're, you know, importing this research-based pedagogy from the United States to other spaces, Mm -hmm. you have to be understanding of like, where's it going? How's it going to be received? And I think that for me has also been a key learning is that I'm not going to come in there and say, here's what you should do. And we have all the answers, right? Because what we do in our context isn't necessarily going to work. Right. And so it needs to be an equitable partnership where teachers who are the experts of their own context Mm -hmm. can take these research-based practices or curriculum or materials or whatever but they're going to need to marry them with their own context. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and they yeah. are the experts in yes. that space. Yes. And that's not something they teach us <laughs> <No>. in schools, <laughs> right? You know, like the teacher knows and the teacher tells you or whatever, but then coming in as a guest in someone else's space, you have to understand their context. Yeah. And that came up for me a couple times on projects we were working with, you know, the most extreme were in spaces that were, you know, very highly regulated. And we were bringing in, you know, interactive teaching methodologies where we want students to talk to each other and we want students to play games and move around the classroom. And if you might have a principal who thinks that the classroom should be orderly, that only the teacher should speak and they should be copying, you know, the notes or doing the book, that teacher could get fired. Mm. Because it's seen as them not being able to control the class, right? So you can't just come into a space like that and say, this is what you should do. Everyone should, you know, be moving around and and noise is okay. Because in that space, it's not okay. And so we know that practicing English Mm -hmm. requires that students use it, that they speak and they communicate. So the research is there. Well, you have to marry the research with the culture. Mm -hmm. And the culture is kind of the teacher is in, in, the sage on the sage, so to speak, yes, uh-huh. right? Which, you know, is not in line with a lot of the methodology that's coming out of the U.S. and 
other Western countries. But also, there needs to be some middle space where that teacher can begin to engage students and, you know, help the principal understand the value of students speaking and help the students understand that they're not going to get in trouble if they mm-hmm. speak, you know. And so that all takes some, some collaboration and some reflection about, you know, here's what I know, here's where I am, and how am I going to make it? Yeah. And I think any trainer or any teacher educator who's going into a, any context needs to consider the context. Mm-hmm. Like you can't just come in with this package and, and say, okay, <laughs> yeah, this is what the research says. And this is what the book says. Like, let's just do it because you have to consider all of those other sociopolitical and, and educational understandings. Mm-hmm. As I, well. I'm glad that you say that though, because like, you really do have to marry it because we do, I mean, there is research that we, we understand like listening, speaking, reading and writing, collaboration, working together, project-based, et cetera, all yeah. these things to help facilitate the acquisition of language. Right. Mm-hmm. But you're a hundred percent, thousand percent correct is that you have to marry that though with the culture that's being served in your community as well. Yeah. And so again, that's going to look different whether they, they are from Bangkok, Thailand, or if they're from, um, Agua Caliente, Mexico, ¿verdad? Absolutely. Like, it's going to be absolutely different in that context. And so uh, there isn't one package that you can do. And so myself, whenever I do go to schools and present or work with teachers or leadership, that's the, that, that's the number one thing, is going through that lens of cultural proficiency and trying to, or the, like, the, well, I love Lindsay and Lindsay's conceptual framework for culturally proficient practices. What are my barriers and what am I not acknowledging um, or resistant to acknowledge? What are some guiding principles that can help me get there? What's that ethical tension where I recognize my unhealthy and my healthy practices? And then how do I get to that part to be able to celebrate that diversity, to understand it, to institutionalize it, to to have it be um, that through line and that glue that really holds together what we do in our school? Because what happens in this school over here may be perfect for that school but would mm-hmm. be detrimental in this other school because of the culture represented. So my question with that kind of mindset is how do we like how do we do that? What like what would be like an actionable step or a recommendation that you might have for not just anyone out there listening as we walk into our incredibly awesome, diverse and multicultural world, but for our educators or leaders even specifically mm-hmm. um who are able to kind of set that tone in the educational setting. Do you have any recommendations or thoughts or context analysis? Yes, let's talk. Gotta, Preach it. Let's do this. To understand the context, <laughs> yes. and you can't assume that you do. And I think that is the number one. Like, mm-hmm. Don't assume, and collaborate. And so you need to have the voices of multiple people at the table. You need to find out how things work. Mm-hmm. What's important? What are the needs? What are the goals? And what are you know? What are the the non, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like the, just the things that are going to be no's. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You know, like the things that just, that just we can't do right now because of X, Y, Z. Yeah. Um, I think you have to understand that. I mean, that we, we were in spaces where we run in teacher training. The, the ministry of education gave teachers permission to come. Transportation was paid for, but, Teachers couldn't come unless we talked to their mother-in-laws to make sure that they were able to leave the home because their role in the home was so important. 
culturally. That's not something I'm familiar with here. You know, um, but in that context, you had to respect, you know, the the way that the culture operated. And so you couldn't just say to teachers, you have to be there. Mm -hmm. We had to have those conversations or the people that we were working had those conversations, you know, also because we weren't speaking the language of the folks in that space. But, you know, that was important there. Yeah. It's not necessarily important. And so I, I wouldn't have known that if we hadn't asked those kinds of questions. Yeah. If teachers hadn't told us. You can't just plan some beautiful PD and go give it to someone. You have to, it has to be, you know, a back and forth and some understanding of what will work, what won't work, why. Um, in other contexts, I worked with teachers and we had an online course. It was, you know, 24-7 so they could be really flexible with their schedules. We um, we were able to have a, a WhatsApp group so that teachers who had some challenges with technology could communicate outside of the course platform. Um, and we, we just thought, you know, we had covered so many bases. But then when we talked to the teachers, we realized that they were teaching all day long. And then in their context, they also were working in residential schools where they had house parent duties at night. So they really only had like Sundays which was their family day. And this was, you know, 10 hours a week. They're supposed to be taking the course. Hmm. And so if we'd known that ahead of time, <laughs> we could have said, <laughs> you know, could you release them from parental duties, you know, so many hours an evening, or should we extend the hours of the course so that instead of one week to do a module, you could have two weeks. Mm-hmm. And eventually we made those adaptations because we began to understand the context but initially, teachers just weren't finishing. And then the idea was, well, why aren't they finishing? You know, maybe they don't care. Maybe they just, you know, are too busy, whatever. We didn't know. Right. But what, all we saw was this hole in well, the grade book. And why did we not know that? You though? know, right. Because we didn't, we didn't know what questions to ask. Yes. And so, and in many places like that, there is a hierarchy where teachers are told, you will do X, Y, Z. And they're told by school administrators who are usually our first point of contact. Mm -hmm. And we've had to advocate, you know, we need to ask the teachers. And sometimes we get some pushback. No, we're just telling them what to do that, how it works here. But if they're not able to do it, you know, then then all of this money (laughs) is going into something that isn't going to work. Right. So having those voices at the table is really important. Understanding that context. And and I think within that, you have to consider language proficiency mm-hmm. of teachers, especially working in different international um, locations. You have to consider technology and access to technology and digital literacy, mm-hmm. bandwidth. Yep. In some spaces, we were working with teachers who had interrupted at, you know, electricity and water. So, or if there was flooding, you know, like teachers aren't going to come to professional development if their city's flooded. And so... Yeah. Like there were just a lot of things that we had to consider that we didn't, you know, wouldn't necessarily consider in a U.S. Yeah. And so how do you create learning opportunities that work in context that experience those kinds of things? So all of it is really, you know, planning, being flexible, being respectful of what teachers are going through um, and talking to people about. Is this is what we think is going to mm-hmm. work? Do you think it's going to work? Yeah. If not what will help? 
I think the conversation, like that, that it's having those conversations. It's making sure that that representation is ever present so you can have those conversations. So you can work with, again, it goes back to that, that without with component. We want to work with people, right? But yes. um, whenever you considered um, like bandwidth, like technology, like all those different things, um, I remember it makes me think about an example. It was right um, after we were finally getting back into school a little bit from the COVID pandemic. And it, of course, being a Title III uh, director uh, of a district at that time <clears throat> and working with the other colleagues in that district to try to have those conversations because we also, I knew that we had students that had just come in from another country that did not have technology and they were coming in um, with uh, two different districts I can remember where uh, parents had come in with a, with a new computer and they had never owned a laptop, though, before. Mm -hmm. But yet we were about to use all this online technology, even though we were back in person, because we had already, you know, paid for it. We already had the contract for it. And so mm -hmm. it was like this, like, super, like, kind of annoying thing mm -hmm. to me. I was like, just because we have, like, that means everyone has to just, but even though, like, it's not responsive, because we're going to teach how to use the computer, because they didn't have one uh, in their, in their, village perhaps right or it's or they didn't have there's not the electricity we don't have the band we don't even do any of that so to teach the technology to teach the platform plus you're trying to teach the content plus you're trying to have language acquisition plus you know that, that there's cultural things going on with the family because they're new to mm -hmm. the united states and then they're also new to the state itself and it's like all of i mean yeah it's <laughs> so if i don't have someone there across the the uh the table from me or in that same space with me to share and say hey just fyi just so you know those who are coming from these certain countries or these certain backgrounds or these certain religions may or may not but however a b and c and how does that impact you like i don't think i've ever been in a leadership group where we were able to have that conversation yeah but i always promote them it's the needed conversation and i think i mean getting to to the solution to things like that it's it's that universal design mm -hmm. it's multimodal opportunities to engage and it's choices right so you look at what don't focus on what people don't have <laughs> focus on what they do right so one of our one of our key learnings was in a lot of the places around the world people don't use email you know people went right <laughs> to phones they use phones every day mm -hmm. so we had to shift our communication to, you know, phone-based messaging, Telegram, WhatsApp. I would send 150 WhatsApp, emails yes. and hear nothing. I send a WhatsApp and in three seconds, yeah. I get, a, oh, hey, yes. can I call you? Right? And so we were relying on the, our systems and the way they work here, but we really need to know what are people doing? How are they accessing information? And then being really flexible. So in our courses, we say, you know, yeah, go into Canvas and upload your pdf <laughs> or send me a picture of it on telegram and you know we'll let it count right and so if you want to draw it on a piece of paper just take a picture of it having multiple ways for people to complete assignments or you know multiple ways to participate was really important and it doesn't matter how they get in the door mm -hmm. as long as they're in right and i think that was a key learning too is is work with what works there you know, how are you communicating now? Mm -hmm. Right. So we had teachers, you know, with very little items in their classroom. Like they have a, a classroom and a blackboard. 
So we have to think about how can we can be communicative in our in our activities. We don't have a book. We don't have papers, you know, and also understanding that when students come to the states from those classrooms, they maybe haven't had to manage papers before. So they might, you know, that might be a key learning objective is to learn how to organize a notebook and how to manage your textbook, and how to keep your locker. You know, my students, I had students from Dominican Republic who had never had a folder before in high school. And the teacher copied the book onto the board and they copied it into their notebooks. And so when suddenly they were getting homework and handouts and paper, 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 it just, yeah, it just kind of ended up in a pile or it went away, you know? And so our students really just needed to, to be cued in that like, Hey, here's how you organize a notebook or use a library. You know, our, some of our students thought the public libraries or the school libraries cost money mm-hmm. because people were scanning the books and it was like a grocery store. And so sometimes students aren't using resources available to them because they didn't use them before. They're not sure how. And so having that orientation of, you know, here's a library, you can use it. Our librarian just grabbed those kids with so much joy, like, yeah, I'm going to tell you all about the library. And (laughs) those kids were in there every day in their free time after that, you know, and they found bilingual books and they could use computers. And, you know, there were just so many things that they weren't accessing because they thought it cost. And so I think just always having those conversations about what is working, you know, how can, how do things work in the space that you're in and how can we leverage those strengths and those ways of being and then also kind of orienting them to other other opportunities and so it's always it has to be like two-way mm-hmm. it can never be an imposition like we know and we're going to just show you how to do it right you have to look at what is already working and understand that the people in those communities are doing things every day of their lives yeah and you know like and sometimes it works better exactly than what we do. I think we have to be very, very open and just like again, I think it goes back to the understanding that like we we're all we're all experts in what in, in what we're doing, but whenever we share that together, mm-hmm. iron sharpens iron. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so when so the experts that are at home, the the the, the parents that are the first teachers, uh, the I wanna learn. I mean, my best professors were my students. Absolutely. Why can't that be, you know, like, yeah. I mean, wow, the insight that you get through the eyes of a child that comes from a different country, religion, culture, background, and understanding, absolutely phenomenal. Changes your life so much. Sure. And teachers are so creative. Mm-hmm. And that's what I love also, that we we switched over to WhatsApp and Telegram groups, Yeah, which also continue the life of these communities and, the, and classes. So, you know, classes I taught three years ago, those telegram groups are still going and teachers are posting stuff that they're doing. And I'm like, I'm going to try that. That looks amazing. Like, show me how you did it. And so now we're constantly in exchange and growing each other, which I think is, is a real gift. It is. And so it's much better than when it was just a course and it went away. <laughs> and so <laughs> sometimes if it's a course, it's a semester and it's like special education and it's going to be the cultural awareness, like, and it's all pushed in together so fast. Yeah. Um, it's tragic. When you mentioned the communication piece, though, so uh, in my 
also high five again for the doctoral program because i'm finished too but um i didn't know i was going to write the word like whatsapp in my Uh dissertation um but i feel like i should have are you familiar with line see okay good because i wasn't either but whenever we went to bangkok thailand to go teach line it's like the whatsapp oh okay and so it would be the same thing how do i i mean we don't like in thailand you didn't text Uh you didn't do whatsapp which all of that existed you used line Wow. And so line is just another, it's a, you know, as they even say, same, same, but different <laughs> as WhatsApp in, in Thailand. And, uh, but I loved that though, because it was even just being in that, that different app and communicating was just a fun be- living there. Right. Cause it's, mm-hmm. that's, that's what you did. And then whenever I was doing my research for the dissertation, it was the same conversation centered around text messages didn't work because in their community, and I noticed this a whole lot. Um, and I've even had to, be better at it myself is using WhatsApp instead for the Hispanic Latinx community. And where I am, and my experience at least, is that where I am in Oklahoma um, and where I've talked about other places, it's always, you know, and you can even hear it. Uh, you can hear like the ding or, <laughs> or whatever it is, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, and if you can't have that two way communication back and forth, because by golly, we're going to communicate only through email. Well, guess what? You're going to have really low parental involvement and engagement and understanding, and you're going to continue to be in that same cycle that you're always in. It's true. It's true for us, for sure. And so, yeah, sometimes doing things a little differently, but finding out what works locally, that Mm -hmm. that was huge for us. Same thing with Telegram. It's another, you know, another messaging app. That was the lifeline to our teachers. Yeah, I don't even know that one. It's it's just like WhatsApp, except okay. except it's actually one thing about it that is a little different is that your data isn't stored on your phone; it's stored in the cloud. Okay. So it doesn't take up everything on your phone, mm. which is nice. You know, and not that this is necessarily like all in the same vein, but again, being in uh, in Thailand, and I I bring that back because it's a different hemisphere. I mean, it's very very different, right? Um, but being over on completely the opposite of the planet and seeing the accessibility that people had, that you can go into Seven Eleven and get your cell phone. You huh. can pay some money right there and just have access to it. Huh. So I think about that access here. So whenever we talk about diversity, diversity, I can't even, sorry, diversity, equity, inclusion, and access. Yeah, that's a really big part of it. Is like how are we even trying to provide access to this mm-hmm. and being culturally responsive in that? Um, I'll do a, a just a quick shout out to our sponsor edge of skills but i i do that because whether it be edge of skills or any other platform that you have a student information system if you're in pre-k through 12 or whatever that is in your job whether it's in education or even out of education it doesn't matter but just to be able to figure out who is in my community who am i really serving and you can go in and you can look through i'm sure some sort of a platform that your district your university or your job might have you can see who who's coming in from what countries are they? Uh, and then you can start to go from there and be like, okay, like let's like as a, as a collective uh, group of of people here, like let's do some research, like let's try to understand what uh, culture might be like in Guatemala versus even El Salvador, because guess what? Those are two different countries. Mm-hmm. They're going to be different cultures. There's different cultures even within cultures. But that first step, I think, is taking the opportunity to truly stop. Go back to whatever platform you have, look and see who's represented in my school, who's represented in my district, 
And then myself, as the educational professional, need to take the ownership to participate with and do my own research with myself and my, my text and my books, the internet, but also my friends, my community, mm-hmm. the people that were all around and really coming together around that table to have those conversations so I can make better decisions and respond more appropriately and not lose communication in the process. Absolutely. And I think there's, there's two things that you said that kind of made me, well, there's two things I was thinking as you were talking. Like the, the one is just who's there, who's not, right? Who's not with me? Who's not engaged? Who's mm-hmm. not participating? And why? That's a really important question to yeah. ask because we can feel like we're doing a great job because well, right, a lot of if- people are engaged or there's always those kids that are raising their hands, mm-hmm. right? But like who, who's not? Yes. If we know that we have five different distinct cultures represented and three are only showing up, mm-hmm. I need to be able to understand enough of the five to figure out how do I get these other two to sure. still participate because you're, you're exactly right. But I think the other piece is that culture is so complicated. That you can't just say like, oh, they're from Mexico. They've got a Mexican culture, right? right? Because <laughs> because there's a hundred bazillion versions of what that might look like, depending on you know who are their parents, how did they grow up? There's the history. There's so much mm-hmm. language, and so you could have three kids from Mexico, one who speaks Spanish as a second language mm-hmm. or third language, right? Who maybe has an indigenous background, who maybe who has a mother who's from. Australia, like mm-hmm. who knows, right? Because it's a global world now. Yes. So I think culture is complicated and I don't think we're ever going to be able to like pin it down. No, but we just need to be more purposeful and intentional, right. you know? Right. And it's the same thing here, right? Even within the United States of America in 2023, so two day, California to New York to Florida to yeah. Oklahoma, where we are right here uh, in Virginia, I mean, the, 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 the dialect is different. The words are sometimes different. The, the culture is different. You pay five cents for a plastic bag here and you do not in Oklahoma. You got to make sure you might have to pay to pee in Mexico, but you don't have to here. Like there are just so many differences, but again, Mm -hmm. it goes back to that understanding that even within a U.S. culture, they're so varied. Even if you went to any other culture, there's culture within that culture. Um, even for myself, um, part of the LGBT UIA2S plus community, there's, there's just with all of that, right? There's automatically, when you hear that, so much diversity within mm-hmm. that culture right. as well. So I'm just glad that you say that because you have to also look about, like you said, who's not? Mm-hmm. And those, yeah, those cultural perspectives are so personal. And I think there's, I'll think of the lady who said this. There's a um, TED Talk. Yeah, I love about... TED Talks. I'm a TED <laughs> Talker. What she said really stuck with me because she she was a person who, you know, her parents were born in Nigeria and they lived in England, but she grew up in Boston mm. and, and you know, she's lived in other spaces. And she said, you know, every time someone introduces me, it's a lie. Like they will say she's like a Nigerian British citizen from Boston. And she said, but really, you know, I'm from this space. Here's where I'm local. Right. And, and so she talks about kind of identity and culture as a part of being local and a space where you feel at home, regardless of like what your nationality or your, you know, place of origin is or your language. It really is about, you know, how you fit into this and multiple other spaces. Right. And so to say that a student who's born here to Mexican parent is Mexican 
might not really be true or might be true, depending mm-hmm. if they've gone back or not, or if their parents have tried to, you know, teach them how to be more American or if they speak if their own ask. language. You know, so we can never make those assumptions. And people, the families are hybrid and people are mobile. And so it's complicated. Yeah, it's, that's the beauty of it. It is. It's beautiful. And I, but I think it's a da- there's a trap. We can say like, oh, Mexican culture, let's look it up. Right, right, because it, uh huh, right. it's X Y Z, but it's not. Of course not. It's X Y Z and A B C D E F G H I J K. <laughs> yeah, and all of those other you know letters that we don't even have in the alphabet. Mm-hmm. And so that's the other space about being culturally responsive is you're constantly reflecting, and you're constantly trying to keep your assumptions in check. Mm-hmm. You can look at general patterns. But I think also people, if I say to you, what's your culture? How are you going to articulate that? It's really complicated. My culture at work, my culture at home, my culture when I'm with my friends, my culture when I'm with my family. There's just so many layers. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's like a moving target to say, like, let's be culturally responsive. It's a moving target, you know. Like it's, it's, <laughs> it, it, it is, is it's, really hard. It's deep and it's complicated, and there, like there's not an answer. There's not one textbook you can go get. There's right. not one experience you can have. It's ongoing. It's every day. And even like you said, you were just describing that you have a different culture based on where you work, based on where you live, based on where you go eat, and based on where you go just hang out. Yeah, maybe right. Yeah, it's very different for me when I'm home with mm. my family, and you know, it, it's a different, it's a different way of being like in my home family than who I am mm-hmm. in my own space, yeah. you know, even, even just in the same town, I think. And so, so I think some of the, some of the keys maybe to distill it is to really understand the context you're working in, understand the values and the, you know, the, the hidden rules or expectations, but, but be flexible, be open-minded and be a good listener, mm-hmm. you know, ask questions. Yes. Um, ask. So sorry, listeners. That was my alarm. I have to. I'm supposed to. Uh, it automatically does it, but I had a reminder to check in for a flight. <laughs> <laughs> Where are you going? I love home. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> I might just stay here with you. <laughs> yeah, stay forever. Move into Tucson. That's so funny. Um, but it's true though, and about just how we we do act different, or we we do have different um. I guess personalities, I think, whenever we are in our different areas. And I know that I, uh, I like my behavior changes mm-hmm. around different cultures that I'm in or even mm-hmm. within the, the, the locale of where I am. Um, yeah. But I've noticed that about myself, right? So if I'm in an English-only dominant English-speaking group that is maybe from one certain area, like my behavior is one way. But when I'm with, like, mi amigo Latino and, like, I know that, like, like, and and what's ironic though is that I remember in my very first master's um, degree that I got that they asked the question like with uh, what culture do you feel most um, included or most a part of if you were yeah. to you know to, and it was like an opening question or an icebreaker or something and I remember thinking like I mean again it's all diverse our it's everything is diverse but I was like kind of like the like Hispanic Latinx culture like honestly but I'm just guy from Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, that 
didn't have any reason to know Spanish if it weren't for my awesome teacher, Senora Atkins, in high school that helped me get to this point, right? And so then I consider how that related to my students whenever I first started teaching. Um, Again, I call them my best professors ever. And at the time, I didn't know it, but I knew it. But now that I'm reflecting, I'm like, wow, but seven countries and eight languages represented within four walls of a classroom. It's so incredible to be able to experience all of that and then to go back and reflect and see how the culture changes you. As, as multi-layered as it is, as it's a mm. growing process, I was, we were on this continuum every single day. Mm. You can start to notice, though, how whether it be in our personal lives, with work, the home, to the restaurant, whether it be the people that we're around, or again, those that we're serving, our actions become different. And whenever you start to recognize that, it's fun to reflect upon, see, how does that impact me? in my mm-hmm. role how does that impact me in my service sure and in the decisions that you're making and i think <sighs> that's, that's a huge thing to think about for for students for parents for kids you know especially for people who are maybe bicultural mm-hmm. or you know living in in two distinct cultural groups at the same time right the expectations of my mother and the expectations of my teacher might not align mm-hmm Right. And who am I going to honor mm-hmm. if I'm a kid? Yeah. Right. You listen to your parents, you listen to your teacher. Right. But if, they, if what they're saying is your teacher saying is, you know, be individual and shine and be you. And your parents are saying blend in with the class and and don't come home with, you know, being the top student because, you know, you're going to make other kids mad. Mm. Right. That's just one example. But I mean, there are sometimes conflicting values. And if you're living in both spaces, you have to decide who am I going to be today? I'm going to be my American me or my, you know, whatever other, you know, cultural group I'm from. Am I going to be that? Am I going to be them both at the same time and honor them equally? Mm-hmm. That can cause some inner conflict. Like, I don't want people to have to choose. That's reality, though, because it's a, it, you're going to maybe disappoint someone based on your decision if if you can only make one decision and it, you know, it's going to be in line with this culture or that culture. Yeah, but it is possible. Wouldn't you say that it's, it's possible to create it? Oh, it's a hard challenge and it's yeah. a very difficult challenge that most people are not willing to do. Yeah. Most people don't have the strength for it. And if they do, they don't have the, the desire to do it. But I think again, whenever you, whenever it, it's an inclusive atmosphere, an inclusive situation, and if we're all learning together and we create mm-hmm. that space, I don't have to be straight here and gay there. Now, there might be a law. That comes out. But it doesn't change that, though, yeah. right? And so you don't have to be. Uh, um, just, I've been in spaces before whenever all the cultures were, came together, right? And I've been in spaces before where there was an obviously a dominant culture, and you could uh-huh. tell. But to your point about bicultural, right? The, those that we serve here have to be at least minimally bicultural, if not, like you just said, multicultural. Uh-huh. And I think that's just an important thing to remember, is that we can create that space. But it's going to take a lot of hard work, and it's not going to be perfect, probably ever. But you can find where there's a place that you know is trying, Versus a place that you know is not. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. There needs to be the effort to, and to acknowledge the tension that that creates. It creates a lot of anxiety, I mm-hmm. think, for students, for parents, individuals in, in trying, you know, of course, you know, America would love immigrants to assimilate, right? But of course, they're going to keep the best parts of themselves that aren't American, right? They are going to keep their alignment with their cultures and they're going to adopt parts of American culture that work for them. But that sometimes those things are, are jiving really well, nicely together. And then sometimes it's, it's that conflict. And I think like I even saw it, I saw it when I was in Japan because in Japan, the, the emphasis is always on the Mm-hmm. right it's always on the group you don't raise your head about the group and i remember someone told me a, it was a, a i think a an idiom or something that was like that you know the nail that rises above gets hammered down right no. <laughs> and so i didn't grow up like that you know i grew up in a very individualistic space i'm a creative person i work around the rules sometimes and, and you know that's just always who i've been and i just remember this one situation where Oh, there were people, we were there as a teacher group. There were people who were designated to help us with the language barrier, like at at night, if we wanted to go do something or they could help us with directions or, you know, whatever. And so the taiko drummers were playing across the street from us and the concert was free at like 7 p.m. on Tuesday. But Tuesday night was group practice night for the skit we were going to do about the like city that we went to because each crew went to a different city. And so we decided like, hey, let's practice in the morning and then we could go to the show at night. So our group practice, we're ready. I remember going to the lady and saying like, hey, could you help us get, t-? you know, we still needed a ticket, but it was free. We get a ticket to see Tycho Drummers on Tuesday. And she said, oh, I'm sorry, you know, Tuesday night's group practice night. And I said, oh, yeah, but, you know, we already practiced. And so we're ready. And I remember her. <laughs> this is like, um, you know, it took me a minute because I wasn't reading the cultural situation very well. At the beginning, she just said, oh, Tuesday night's group practice night. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, but we finished. And so we don't, you know, we don't need to, to do group practice night on Tuesday. And she said, oh, really? <laughs> Tuesday night's group practice night. And then, you know, of course, naive me. I'm thinking, well, maybe she doesn't understand my English that well. So I'm trying to, like, explain or act out and then i realized like she's telling you no Mm -hmm. right and that's again that indirect communication she's not gonna say no because i'm a guest she's letting you come she's like tuesday night (laughs) is group practice (laughs) right like she's clearly telling me no many many times but i'm not reading it because in the u.s we would just be like no you can't you gotta stay with the group (laughs) right right but in my culture she was so polite and you know patient with me and then some of the people, the other Americans in my group, of course, were like, well, let's just go anyway. Like, right. It's just right across the street and it's free. We can get the tickets. Right. So there's this like American sense of just work around it flexibly because that's what we do. But there was this Japanese expectation of staying with the group, but also a high level of politeness and a high level of respect. Check in for that, Blake. High level of blindness <laughs> and respect. I am so sorry, but hey, at least, at least you know we're real. Like, yeah. we're just real humans. We are. <laughs> Things happen. And so it was a moment when I had to make a decision. What, like, no stakes, really. Well, maybe some. Some social stakes, right? It wasn't like I was going to 
embarrass my family for the rest of my life or lose an opportunity for a job or you know, it wasn't a high stakes decision, but I still had to make this decision, which, you know, which me is it going to be like this American me or mm-hmm. the Japanese me in Japanese culture? And I had to choose, like, am I just going to get what I want? Mm-hmm. Or am I going to be respectful and stay within the group and just thank them for being so nice to me and not go? And miss an opportunity to see the National Taiko Drummers, which was amazing, right? Right. And so, and that's just like one example of of those conflicting. What did you choose, though? I'm not going to say. Oh, okay. Because I think on any day I might have made a different decision. You know, like depending on who I was feeling that day. Respectfully, you shouldn't go, right? Uh huh. You shouldn't go, and so. I think, I think we all have respect and we all have greed in every yeah. culture, right? And so, yeah. but I mean, I, I I get the point that that you're making in that, but um, but yeah, you know, sometimes it's not necessarily, uh, always a cultural thing, but sometimes more about do we do the right thing? And how tired I'm, am I of trying I, to be? I don't this do the right thing at all all the time, not, right? And I think. <laughs> To that extent, like it's exhausting to try to fit into a space that it is different mm-hmm. than what you're comfortable in. Well, and that's yes, and I was that's yeah. what I was thinking about as well. I'm glad that you said that. It's so true. Yeah, and not that I was tired. Like I was only there for three weeks, and it was a great opportunity. Though. But yeah, it was like this is where I'm comfortable, and this is where I know I'm supposed to be. And most days, that's an easy decision. But not always. Right? always. Yeah. And then I, th- I think like I think of what parents and kids go through in our school systems or in our communities when they have to make these big decisions and the stakes are higher. Right. Stakes are often much higher. And so, you know, kids whose parents want them to be in an arranged marriage mm. and all their friends are dating mm-hmm. or, you know, like things that just are much more long term impact and. So I think it is important to, to understand. ingrained yeah, as well. Yeah. Yes, definitely. The consequences mm-hmm. of making one decision over another and what is the fallout and always having to make those choices when you are from your culture and you're in it as opposed to having to manage two or more sets of roles yeah. or sets of expectations. I, um, I truly just adore you i respect you i think you are one of the most incredible people that i've ever had the honor to meet and learning with you and having these really (laughs) in-depth deep conversations about this it's so great we keep growing um why you keep trying to leave? And, uh, <laughs> I'm just I'm gonna get out of my contigo. I'm gonna stay. Um, but, Are you gonna um, edit that out? <laughs> no, no. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep this in. We're keeping all of it in. Um, even, even a hiccup um, with the with the alarm. Thank you for being understanding. Sure. See, there we get some compassion here for the listeners. Um, my but, like, heart yeah. that you can't see that I'm making with my hands. <laughs> I'm making one too. We have our hearts together. Um, so in, in in the interest of uh, of time, because you are correct, like this is uh, it's it's an onion that you can peel layer after layer after layer after layer, and I feel like it can just go into infinity. But that again, I think that is the beauty of it. Um, but I really want to give you an opportunity as we're about to wrap up and close out. What are any last thoughts or any recommendations or anything that's just on your heart that you want to make sure that you share? And I just want to fully give you that space 
um, with some final words and thoughts wow. that you might have for us. I think we said so much. I think, I mean, coming back to be reflective, be a listener, step outside of your comfort zone and get to know people who are different from you um, and understand the role of context. You know, ask questions. Don't assume that you have all the knowledge. Thank you for pushing me to be better. Thank you for your service um, here at TESOL. Uh, thank you for everything that you have done and continue to do. Um, I know that just by having met you, you've made me a better person. So I really appreciate you. And I want to say thank you for your friendship as well. Thank you so much, Kelly. So nice to be here. Well, uh, thank you again to everyone that um, has been with us this entire time listening. Um, again, thank you to Dr. Heidi Faust for being an incredible human on this planet. Um, and a big thank you to Mike Overholt, our producer, and to our sponsor, Edge of Skills. I wish you all a great day, and I send you so much love and mucho amor. Adios. Ciao. Thank you for joining us today. Don't forget to like, follow, and subscribe. Adios.